0: You know, we're starting to get a pretty good crew up here, aren't we? You know? Got my favorite Filipino. Got my favorite hillbillies, right? Got my favorite flutist we We're good, and and my favorite pianist and bass player, too. Um, Oh, that's where I preach now, isn't it? Okay. I have, I have an easier time preaching than I do doing all the things that are in between the service preaching, if that makes sense. I always know what I'm going to preach and, and what the word the Lord has given me is. I don't always know how we transition from one thing to another. Luckily, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have been blessed with the ability to talk. Um, <laughs> and that has served me well. Go ahead and start turning to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to get to verse 9 and 10. We didn't do a clicker check before, but hopefully the clicker works. If the clicker doesn't work, Joe and, Joe and Mark ought to do my clickers. Um, although Mark's not here, is he? Okay. <laughs> it's hard to twel- tell twins from the other side of the sanctuary. That's, that's, that's my excuse. All right, I don't like preaching about money. Um, I'm an evangelist at heart. I like the fancy shouting, bringing down the house in the presence of God type sermons. I would say that guest speakers rarely focus on giving. No one brings in an evangelist. and They talk about tithing, right? It's too risky. You step on people's toes. People get mad about money. You know that? People get mad when you start talking about money. Um, in fact, when I when I was given the fact, you know, last year, our first sermon was on First Fruits, and I knew that Um, In the month of January, it's one of those things where if you set something in your head and you do the chore, whether you want to or not, you do it. And so I knew I needed to preach on money, and so we're going to do it in January. And last week, Lord gave me a reprieve, you know, because he told me to preach. And he's like, well, you know, I'll do this service today, David, and you just take next week. And I'm like, all right, Lord, you've got this one. Um, But I actually came up with a top five list of reasons. I love this. When you're going with your stuff, going into the kingdom of God. Notice how even if he didn't have all the stuff, he still couldn't fit, right? Not by our own. But I came up with my top five reasons why I don't like preaching about money. One, I don't like preaching about money because it's not my main struggle. Let me tell you why it's not my main struggle. She's sitting on the front row. See, I was, I was, when I met her, a it burns, get it out of my pocket kind of money guy. But then I ran into this woman who, if I'm not using double coupons, and let me tell you, there are many things she has forgiven us for in our marriage. But one day at Kohl's, as I was looking through the rack, my Kohl's cash fell out of my pocket, which is a special coupon you get at Kohl's, which is a specific amount of money. And it fell out of my pocket, and she wasn't with me in Kohl's this time. Most of the time, she's there with me at the register to make sure we get all the discounts available to us. She was not there at this moment. That was not in my pocket, but I'm already at the register, and I go ahead and buy the item. And I get to the car, and she's like, did you use the Kohl's cash? I'm like, ah. you know, there are a lot of things she can forgive me for. <laughs> a lot of things, and, and that one, I think, it stuck with her, Right? Um, so, and, and, and not only that, but I don't know if you know this about ministers because I'm an Assembly of God minister. Um, 100% of my tithe goes to the district. Even before um, I was a pastor here, when I was in Kentucky, my tithe um, was always mandated by the district. So I literally had someone who would call me on the phone if I didn't. I mean, you can get it, the, the district can forgive you of a lot of things, right, Lynn? They're not going to forgive you that. Somebody said, somebody, somebody I took a, a hiatus one year when my family was going through stuff and I was getting back into the ministry and they said, did you renew your credentials? And I said, well, they're still cashing the checks, right? (laughs) If they're they're still cashing your checks for your tithe, then you know you're still in good standing, right? Um, Just a little humor. I I hope Phil's not watching. Um, (laughs) But... But it's never, been a, it's never been a main struggle. In fact, even here in the office, Deb can tell you, um, I don't like touching money. I like other people to handle the money. I put other people in charge of it. I want that to be a thing with transparency and, and accountability and all those things, but I don't want it to be my job, right? Like, I, I manage to make sure we're not out there, you know, blowing it all on. I don't know what a church would blow it on, but, you know. Um, but it's not my main struggle. It's just not something I've had to struggle with. Uh, my wife is really good at keeping a budget, and we've been financially solvent because of her. Uh, Two... It's a trap for preachers. Man, some preachers get into speaking about money and they never get out. You know, I've known some ministers that they get that train on that track and that's the only track they ride. You know what I'm saying? Um, And it's a trap for preachers in other ways too. One of the things that always kind of broke my heart, I saw somebody put on Facebook once, and I'm gonna slow down my talking, I realize I'm talking fast. I saw him put on Facebook a thing about Joel Osteen, right? Everybody loves to bang on Joel Osteen. He's He's a big, easy target. Right, And it said, when a preacher's um, church looks like this and his house looks like this, it's time to sta- start taxing pastors and churches. Because, right? of course, his church is huge and his house is huge. Now, let me, let me take up for Joel Osteen. Do preachers take up for other preachers or we just tear them down? I think sometimes we take up for him. You know, he's had like seven or eight bestsellers on the New York Times list. And I'm betting you he didn't buy the house off his preacher's salary. He bought it off his book salary but because he's a preacher, there's a certain level of poverty we're expected to maintain. Amen? We need to drive a car that's nice, but not too nice, right? We can drive an SUV, but not a Mercedes, right? You can, you can, have, a, you can have a house, but you can't have a pool, right? Because if you have a pool, then maybe you're paying your pastor a little too much, right? So there's that whole thing, and pastors can get caught in that trap of money. They can get obsessed with it, right? We're, we're looking at the bills, and we're like, you know, Deb, do we have enough to do this? Do we have enough to do that? And Um, you know all the different costs and things that go along with the church and that can stress you out and i have to make a mental break on fridays not to think about that saturday and sunday because you know those are prep times for church so it's a trap for preachers sometimes and three it's uncomfortable to talk about how many of you how many of you like for someone else to talk to you about your finances how many of you would like to just break out your bank book sit down at lunch with me today and go over why you've spent each thing you've spent in the last 30 days just you know, we'll just kind of we'll just kind of go through it and be like, well, what about this? Why'd you? Yeah, Kristen, she's like, I would love you to do that. And we'll. <laughs> Looks like that's your third lunch this week, David.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I have a good bookkeeper at the house. God bless her. <laughs> I was raised in a house where money was a force of content was a source of contention. Um, in my house growing up, the phrase I probably heard most when asking for something is, "We don't have any money." now i as a kid did not understand hyperbole and assumed that whenever my parents said we didn't have any money that our bank account was at zero right <laughs> and i was like i was like man we ha- we have no but really my mom was just saying no you can't buy that toy or buy this or buy that but i remember getting that in my head we don't have any money and and my family, my parents were raised, were raised very poor. When I say very poor, the story they used to tell us was one of coming back from Kentucky Fried Chicken on a motorcycle, and the Kentucky Fried Chicken fell off the motorcycle, and they had to go back and pick it up because that's all they had. You know, there was no replacing that, so they went back and put it all in the box to get it home, and, and they were raised in, in uh, a real sort of poverty mindset. And a lot of people, and I don't think we realize this, But in our generation, because we talk about millennials and all the problems we have, millennials and things like that, and one of the things that, and and I'll admit to doing this with my own kids, is you don't want them to suffer like you suffered. You You don't want them to have to feel poor, right? We don't want our kids to have to feel poor. And so we end up getting them a lot of things and doing a lot of things for them, and sometimes robbing them of the experience of what we had, which, can I say that a little bit of suffering is a good thing? Are we Okay. I mean, the Bible kind of talks about like we should expect it to happen, right? And, and we do, but we also do everything in our power to make sure that it doesn't happen to us. We'd rather help someone else out with their suffering than experience any on our own. Um, I skipped down to two of them. I just set my transitions wrong. Um, marriages fall apart as much to money as, it, as to infidelity. It's not about the lack of money usually. It's more about the control, right? Who gets the tax return in your house? And then it's about that time of year. If you're married to somebody and you get that windfall in. Now, my wife and I have always had the agreement that if I buy something for myself, I have to buy something of equal or greater value for her, right? So I can't look at it and say, do I have the money to buy that? I have to say, do I have the money to buy that and to get Kristen something of equal or greater value so that the peace is maintained in the house? But a lot of times in marriage and in relationships, that first friction occurs when the bank accounts become joined and all of a sudden someone can beat you to the draw, right? As we'd say out west. Um... Where's Casey? Yeah, that was for you, Casey. Um, and that's part of the problem with money is a lot of money is about control, isn't it? And it's not about lack or providence or anything like that. It's about who has control over the money. Um, I had a whole lot to say on that, and all of a sudden it's all leaving my head and probably for good reason, right? We'll go on to the next one. It feels unholy to me. I don't like to touch it. We had a, a group in here last night, and, and we knew they didn't have much, and they were just having a celebration of life here in our thing and she said that, you know, she didn't have money to do it at some of these other places. And I said, Well, you know, we're we're a church, just as long as you run the vacuum and, and clean up after yourselves, you know, come and have it and I'll hang out with you guys and, and we'll have it here in our fellowship hall. And we did. And she came up and, and went to hand me some money at the end of that. And I was like, just put that over there in this little slot. I don't like to I don't like to actually receive cash even on behalf of the church. I'd rather that other people touch that because to me I get paid to man the phones from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, or Tuesday through Saturday. I don't get paid to preach. You know what I'm saying? I I would preach, if I wasn't here right? If I, was, if I was out working one of, you know a business job or something like that, I'd still be preaching today somewhere. You know what I'm saying? If, if, if there was no money involved in this, if there was no payment, I would still be somewhere preaching the word of God. If it came down to it, I'd be that guy on the street corner with the megaphone telling you to get saved while you're eating your Taco Bell downtown, right? I, would, I actually have a dream one day that I could be that guy. I, it takes a lot of bravery. I mean, it's nothing. You guys, you guys, you know, most of the people coming to your church have some expectation of you to preach. Imagine being the guy that people are throwing stuff at him or swearing at him as he goes by, and he's just there proclaiming the word on the street corner. I, I love the very idea of it. Never been able to do it, but let me tell you that if there was no money involved, I'd still be somewhere preaching today, right? I don't, I don't do it. I don't do it for the pay. I actually... I love it that the Lord gave me this really great job before I came here, where I was actually on track to make my first you know six digit salary you know so that I could walk away from that to come here and make roughly less than that, right? right? But I, I even knew when that job was offered to me, that it was offered to me so that I would have it to lay as a sacrifice at his feet. That yes, I finally had the corner office and I could see my house from the top of the high rise and all of that. And it was a privilege to me to be able to lay that down to say, I'm going to go be a full-time minister. I'm going to actually follow the call of God and do what he wants me to do. And, and, and none of the other stuff mattered you know, all the other kind of professional goals and things that I wanted to do, they didn't matter because I had that that I was going to go do. And fifth, I feel like it's something we should just do and shouldn't have to talk about, right? I mean, we'll get into this in a second because obviously there is so much scripture about money you would not believe. Is there anybody here who doubts that God feels like they should be giving to the ministry? right? Is there, any, is there anybody who has like a significant doubt that says, you know what, I've really been in the Bible lately, and I don't think God cares whether or not I give any money to any church or anybody else, or I'm generous, or I'm giving. I, I, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm just not picking that up, you know? Um, I, I heard um, Francis Chan, and I, I like a lot of what he says about it, but he was talking about a different thing, and he goes, you know, you can't tell me that you just, you know, started reading the Bible and really getting into God's Word and felt like, wow, I, I shouldn't be giving, You know, that just doesn't seem, that doesn't seem scriptural or biblical, does it? No, because the more you read it, the more you realize that finances, that how you treat your finances, and being a good steward in your finances is a part of God's plan for your life, right? Because people do get trapped by it. Um, Which takes me to my... Oh, I didn't put a transition slide. David Paul... Um, Five reasons why I need to preach about money. See, I have all these reasons why I shouldn't preach about money, but the thing about it is is that I'm supposed to. Did you know there's a reason why milk is in the back of a grocery store? Our society is built on envy. Did you know that? Our society is built on coveting. And the reason they put the milk in the back of the grocery store is because they know it's the most common item people are going to the grocery store to buy. That's why Aldi's has their milk really cheap because if they can get you in there on the milk, you'll buy other things as well and they become your grocery store instead of Walmart, right? That's why milk is one of those things that the price of milk will set what you're going to buy at their store, and the reason why they put it in the back is because they want you to walk by everything else they got before you get to that milk, so maybe they can get you to get something else. Same reason why you stand in line and you got all the little pretty shiny things. Oh, I'm bad to stand in line with. Kristen, I know, she's like, no, just go get in the car. I'll, I'll pay for it, right? Because <laughs> I'll see all those little shiny gums and candies and knickknacks and flashlights, and I don't even have a cat, and I'm like, oh, I'd love the little laser thing. to the... I could find a cat, and he could chase that, right? It'd be great. You know And they put all those things there because they're trying, to, they're trying to stir up that appetite. Same reason why a food place puts all those food commercials, you know, and you see the, the burgers juicy and just dripping with grease, and there's bacon falling over, and the cheese is melted on it. Anybody, anybody ready for lunch yet, right? <laughs> they do that because they're trying to stir up an appetite in you. And our society is built to stir up the appetite for money in you, either by advertisements and the things you put on TV or by trying to explain to you that your neighbors are out having more fun than you are. Man, I thought as a kid, if you had a bottle of SunKissed, you knew how to surf right? Anybody remember Sunkiss commercial? Some of us older people, right? They had that bottle of Sunkiss, and they popped that off, and it's a beach party. I mean, Annette Funicello's out there, and it's, somebody's with a guitar around the campsite, and they're having a the time, and I never had one of those. I had Sunkissed, but no beaches in Louisville, Kentucky, except the Ohio River, and you didn't swim in it back then. It was, you'd probably walk across it back then, but our society's built on envy, and that's why I think God is so, pre, you know, oh, don't get off on that. That's why God talks about it so much. So in Proverbs 3 9 through 10, we start with God says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then, when your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I'm not telling you to go and buy wine with your money, that's not what the pastor is saying. Um, but Proverbs says that you honor the Lord with your first fruits. Why is that? You take the first part and set it aside for the Lord and the rest of it becomes holy. That does two things. One, it shows you that you have respect for the Lord. Did you know every time I walk into this sanctuary... When I'm alone, there are certain things I do to honor the house of God because I'm here by myself and I want to show Him that I don't just walk through His sanctuary. In fact, if I'm here by myself and there's something I need to get from the four year half the time, I'll go under and come back up because I want the sanctuary to be a holy, honored place. And so there are just little things I do in my habit and in my day to show the Lord that I respect His house. When you take your tithe and your offering out of your pay, what you're actually doing is you're setting that aside and saying, Lord, this belongs to you. This is because I respect you and because I honor you. You know, when the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due, make no mistake, it's talking about money. In fact, the Greek word they're using there refers to give a payment to who a payment is due. Give honor to who honor is due means literally you're giving a tithe or an offering or a payment to somebody. Kristen and I, there was a time where um, we were in between churches because I'm a preacher. You can't just walk into a church. You got to, you know, go staff position and this and that. And, and we just weren't finding the place that the Lord was leading us. So for about six months, we weren't attending any place regularly and we didn't have any place to tithe to. And so we had a tithe jar. We just had a little jar, and what we did is every payday, we'd go take out the money that was a tithe, and we'd put it in that jar, and we'd just set it. Because then, as it turned out, people would come to us, and they would have some sort of need or something in their life, and we would go to that tithe jar, and we'd say, you know what, I've got this much money, I want to meet your need with this money, and we would have it to give to them, you know? The problem with preaching about giving is everybody thinks that you're going to preach about giving to us, right? Pastors, when they talk about giving, they, a lot of times the, the inference is, to me, right, to the church, to our work, to what we're doing here. And I think it is important because I like lights and electricity and possibly having to get the furnace fixed this week. I'm not sure yet. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm feeling that might be on there. Um, Well, the thermostat's not, so deacon board, kind of be aware, right? (laughs) And we we need money as a church to run, but the thing about it is, is it's not just about giving money to the church. It's about being the person who gives, right? Being somebody who takes what is yours, right? Because this is where we really get a sense of identity. When you're a kid and you get money, it doesn't just represent that you can go buy something, but you get to buy something you choose, right? I remember getting Hot Wheels, right? The thing about, we, we used to eat at a place called Annabelle's in the mall, and it, it was in Jefferson Mall in Louisville, Kentucky, and then my parents would get each of us a buck, and I had a choice. I had Toys R Us where I could get a Hot Wheel, or I had the arcade where I could get four tokens, but it was my choice. I had that dollar. I could do what I want, and we would just go take it off running, because back then, your kids could run through a mall, and you didn't have to watch them. And, you know, we didn't get kidnapped by anybody, probably because we were ugly kids, right? No one kidnaps <laughs> the ugly ones. Um, but it represents a freedom that you control it and you get to choose it and you get to say what I'm going to do with this, right? So then to turn around and say, you know what, Lord, even though I know in the natural I have complete control over my finances, nobody can tell me what to do. This is mine and my freedom. I want to offer this to you. I want to put it on the altar and I want to give you your shot at it first. I want to give you first dibs. If there's something that this needs to do, if there's some place that this needs to go, Lord, I want that to be your decision And not necessarily mine. And that's a tough one, isn't it? Always find the way to honor the Lord in everything you do. The first fruits always belong to the Lord. I think Jesus talked about it a lot. In John 2:14 through 17, it said, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins from the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was, that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me why did he get so mad about that? I don't see Jesus chasing anybody else for anything. They were about to stone a woman for adultery, and Jesus was going to get her out of it, but he didn't do it by chasing him off with a stick. And yet here in this moment, he forms a whip of cords, and every time, you know, the, the one time we really see an angry Jesus is right then. Do you know Why? Imagine you came into church today and I said, if you give X dollars in the offering, God will forgive you of your sins, but if you don't, he won't. What if I said, God will hear your prayer if you give the church this much money, but if you don't give the church this much money, God's not going to hear what you say. Because keep in mind, the reason why they were selling doves and pigeons is because they were the sacrifice that the people coming to the temple made. Now imagine you get to Jerusalem and some calamity befalls you. Something happens where all of a sudden you don't have the money to make the sacrifice that you came on that journey to make. You would be in that court and not able to offer your sacrifice to God because somebody would stand in your way and say, unless you can pay pay me this much, your sins aren't going to be forgiven. You're not going to be allowed access to the temple. You're not going to be allowed to approach the priest and offer this before the Lord. Do you see how horrible that was? Do you see how truly terrible it was that someone would take something like money and say, if you don't have enough of it, you don't get to come in the kingdom of God. You don't get to be in the presence of God unless you can do that. And do you know in the history of the church we've done that? There was a time, and the reason why there was a Reformation, the reason why there are Protestants is because there came a time when the church sold things called indulgences. And basically what they were is if you were going to sin, you could have this indulgence, and this indulgence guaranteed you a pardon from that sin. But they didn't just give them to you. You had to donate to the church to get it. And then they even got to the point where somebody said, I'm going to commit a sin in the future, so I'll go ahead and purchase that indulgence now. And all of a sudden, money could buy forgiveness. And obviously that was not on the heart of Jesus who formed a whip and chased them out with cords, was it? Jesus talked about money. I heard the statistic, literally 15% of what he says is about money. Did you know that? That would be like if every sixth or seventh sermon I preached about money. So I'd preach six sermons, next one's about money. Five sermons, next one's about money. You guys would run me out. You'd be like, that guy talks about money all the time, Right? But I can say that if I don't preach about money, then I'm not being Christ-like, right? Money has a... (laughs) I I, I even thought, and and I should have... I'm too poor to do the illustration I wanted to do, which was to lay out some money on the communion table, because there's literally something in my heart that putting money on the communion table bothers me. You know, when I say it feels unholy to me, it, it really does, and I guess because it's our idol, right? If there is anything that's in... ah, oh, wait, that's, the next, that, that's, that's a few points down. Let's get... We'll, we'll get there. Let's, let's go to Luke chapter 12. It can derail your walk with God. In Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to have to turn there because our aspect ratio is a little off there. Luke chapter 12, verses 13. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Anybody ever heard the hypothetical situation, what if you had a time machine and you could go back and ask Jesus one question? What if you had a time machine and you could go back and have five minutes in the presence of Christ as he walked on the earth? This guy had his moment. This guy had his five minutes in the presence of the Son of God incarnate, right? Deity made man, the Creator of the universe, walking among us, with the power to heal all diseases, with the power to know what he was going through and fix anything that was going on in his life. And what does he ask him? This is his question for him. Hey, my brother, my brother won't split the money with my brother's not sharing. Make my brother share. He won't share with me, Jesus. He won't give give it to me, Jesus. Make him give it to me, Jesus. He can give it to me. That was his five minutes with the Son of God, recorded in Scripture for all eternity, and he's being petty because he doesn't feel like the inheritance is being split quick enough, or he hasn't, you know, gone ahead and done it, or they're still holding on to it. How much of a hold did money have on this person's life? Right? That's why he says, he says, I'm not your arbiter, I'm not your judge in these kind of things. Jesus, I have to think he knew that he knew that there were people that were more in need than this guy asking about this. And he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. People who have a problem with money. Oh, wait, that's that's, money is in constant competition with our affection and reliance on God. Money is in constant competition with our affection towards and reliance on God. In fact, covetousness could actually be described as God loves me less if I'm poor, or God loves others who have money more than he loves me because look how blessed they are with all that money. We have a, we have a problem with that. If you see somebody who's got all kinds of money and all kinds of things going on in their life, our, our first impression is, yeah, they've got it. You know, they've, they've got it. God, God has blessed them, right? Like God never blesses poor people, right? Like let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. And I think, I, think, I think Kurt's with me on this one. God blesses me when I've got two coupons at Culver's, right? That's a blessing. Kristen loves nothing more than food she gets without paying for it, right? <laughs> like like we have the little Chick-fil-A app, you know, and every now and then you get a treat on that. And if there's a free treat, I mean, it can be 9 o'clock at night and I can be in my jammies and she's like, I got a free fry. We're going to, <laughs> we're going to Chick-fil-A and we're in the car and we're going because that's free, Right? But for some reason, we mentally, when we see somebody who has a lot of material possessions, who has a lot of things going on, we automatically assume a greater spiritual blessing on them, don't we? We don't mean to. The book of James says that, right? That somebody rich comes in, you give them the nice seat, right? They come dressed nice. They come with a good tie on, the, the, the sporty vest, as I would like to, I would, right? And we treat them different because we assume a blessing on their life because they have more money than us. You know why? Because we covet. Because we want to have that much money. We want to have that blessing. I want a pool in the backyard, you know? I was feeling bad this week. I got in a little fender bender, and by fender bender, I mean my car's undrivable. Um... And so I had to go get a, I have an old beater car, you know, we bought it in 1999 or 2000 and it's been paid off, you know, forever, but I had to go get a battery and put in it and all this other stuff and now I'm driving around my old crappy car, you know, and I'm like, in my nice clothes and everything, like people are going to think, I'm a preacher, I'm not in a good car. You can't be a preacher in a Mazda protege, you got to be a preacher in a minivan, right, or a SUV. We have that kind of image that all of a sudden if somebody's not in something nice or dressed nice or, or they don't have the material possessions that we subconsciously or consciously assign a lesser value to them if they don't have that. And that's because we in our hearts covet what they have. We can't imagine a Christianity in which we are required. I don't want to say we're required to be poor because I don't think we are. I don't think God's up there like, man, you really need to be poor and miserable to be in my presence. (laughs) Like, I'd really love to bless you, but, you know, your electricity bill's paid and things seem okay for you. So, no, right? But at the same point, we can't fall into the trap of the idolatry of money that says we associate blessing with prosperity because that's not how it works, right? Otherwise, America is the only blessed nation and the rest of them are all just in trouble, aren't they? People are bound to its servitude. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, it says... If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving. Remember that word, unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. Well, he's just getting them. And depraved in the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of the world. They have an unhealthy craving. Money is an appetite like any other appetite. Did you know that? The desire, and and listen, I'm not up here saying, (laughs) we we know that ain't none of us gonna go eat nothing without something in our pocket to pay for that, right? Money is a necessity, it's something in life. The problem is, is that somebody's always going to have more than you have. Did you know that? Somebody's always going to have a nicer house than you have. Just like on Facebook, no matter how good your week is, you go on Facebook and somebody's just had a killer week and your week is just terrible compared to that. Look at that. They were out, you know, skiing in the Adirondacks or, you know, climbing mountains and all this. I just watched Netflix and there was a show me and my wife liked. And that was a good night for us. You know, we had pizza out of the freezer and it was good, right? Someone's always going to have more than you. The problem with that is that we get bothered by it, right? It's It's not a problem that God's blessing somebody. It's always a problem that God's blessing somebody more right? Because we're all children of God, and like any good kids, we always want to make sure that our brothers or sisters are at the same level of us, right? If they're getting a little more attention from dad or mom, then we start dancing like a little, hey, dad, mom, notice me, right? And, and, and there's this sense of God can't love anybody as much as me or more than me or bless somebody, or what if their prayer is answered and my prayer is not answered? What if they get a word of prophecy over them and I don't get a word of prophecy over me? What if they have something spiritual that I don't have? What if they have a spiritual gift I don't have? Do you know how hard it would be for me to operate as a pastor if we only operated in the spiritual gifts that I possess? Our church would be a wreck. If I didn't have, in fact, when we had this thing last night, one of the things I thought of was that I have about three women, three, four, maybe five women in this church that if I say we're going to have an event, it's like pushing a magic button. I say we're going to have an event, magic button is pushed and everything looks like it's supposed to look and everything is where it's supposed to be right? Last night that didn't happen because it was just kind of a, a, a and, and they were like, where are the paper towels at? I do Well, where are the napkins at? <laughs> mm. Paper plates? Uh, right, and we're scrambling around. We're running. I'm like texting Debbie. I'm taking pictures. Deb, help. Look at me. It's a mess out here, but she was in Sycamore. I was hoping she was at your house, Pat, so I could guilt her into coming over, but she wasn't. Eventually, we found everything, but I realized, and and what I told the people, and I told them this there, and this is very true, because they have the spiritual gifts of helps and service. They know where things are. They know how things run, and when things have to happen in the church, there are people in this church that automatically, even without me asking, pop up, and they do what needs to be done to make things work. If I were just trying to operate in my spiritual gifts, what if I got jealous because all of a sudden, they have a gift I don't have, and I'm mad about that because I don't get to do what they do? Well, guess what? That's life, you know? There's, there's no one in here that has every spiritual gift. And not at the level that others have it, right? That everybody has different gifts and different callings for the edification of the body because God's building a body of many different parts. And sometimes the fingers are mad they don't get to be eyes, and the nose is mad it doesn't get to be the mouth. And somebody wants to do a job that that's really not where God has called them, but somebody else gets to do it. Why can't I do that? Why do they get to be blessed more than I do? Why do they get to play music? Well, maybe you're bad at music. You know? Why did that guy get to, you know, they're just... I always joke, Kristen sees things I don't even see. When, when I say I've cleaned the bathroom, that means there's no towels on the floor. When she says I've cleaned the bathroom, it means you can eat off the floor, right? There's a completely different way she goes in and assesses things because she has a completely different gift. And sometimes we feel like everybody's got to operate at my level and my gifting and they can't be any better or worse than me at anything. Or all of a sudden we're coveting and we're getting mad. We're, we're talking bad about them. Well, they're not really that good at that. Those people aren't really any block. You know what I'm saying. You guys know what I'm saying. But it's coveting. People are bound to the servitude of money. They think godliness. They think that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Money can't buy happiness, and yet we're not very happy if we don't have any, right? It's a natural desire that seeks to be an overindulge. And lastly, I preach about money because I want our church to walk in God's blessing. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decides in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor his righteousness Endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in what every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I have often said, I hope everybody in our church gets the absolute highest paying job that they can possibly attain. I hope that everybody in our church is blessed materially as much as they can receive. And I hope that they turn around and use what God has given them to do good in the world right? And that's what it's saying right there, that if you sow sparingly, you reap ser- sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. If you're a person who gives to the Lord, the Lord will give back to you. My dad always used to say, you can't outgive God. And I was like, well, I don't want to test that. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I could. What if, I, what if I'm the guy that breaks that rule? But I remember that. And, and that's how my dad lived his life. He could give away any amount and that amount would come right back to him. I remember we, when we did give that, we, we did give um. So somebody had a car problem or something like that. And so we had our tithing thing and we looked There it we like, okay, we have enough money to do this. And I mean, as soon as we gave that out, it came back to us. I mean, as soon as we give something out, it always comes back to us. We're, we're used to the natural mentality that to give means you have less, right? Our mentality is if I give something to somebody, then I have less of something for myself. What is that called? Selfishness right? If I give, then I have less. The kingdom of God works that when you give, he gives you more. The kingdom of God says the more you give out, the more you do for others, the more you serve others, the more that comes back because God is a rewarder, right? It says those who seek God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you don't believe that he's going to reward you, you don't believe the word. It's not that we're mercenaries doing it for the sake of gain, but to know that we are givers, and we are givers because we can be entrusted with the resources that he has to give us. God can't bless some people because you wouldn't know what to do with it. We're like the lottery winners who win the lottery and 10 years later, they're broken in debt because they didn't. They were bad with the $100, now they're bad with the million dollars, right? You don't magically get good at money because there's more of it. There are times in your life where God can't bless and do what he wants to do in your life because you can't be trusted with it. I told Mona this. she got a kick out of this, and I I honestly believe this. There was a point in my life where I feel like we only had so much money because if we'd have had more money, I'd have been fat. I mean, I'm already, I'm already past where I should have been, but all my extra money seemed to be going into eating at that time. I don't know why. And then it always seemed like our, our finances kind of met that level. Weird how that happened. But I began to realize that God couldn't trust me with that at that point and that I had to get a part of my life in check before he could bless me. Do you know if there are parts of your life that are out of check like that, you're taking away God's ability to bless you. If he says, if you ask me for bread, I won't give you a stone, Right? Because you think you're asking for more of what you need, but what you're asking for is more of what already controls you. You're asking for another idol. You're asking for something so, like James says, you can spend it on your own lust. God can trust you with resources when you don't let those things control you, when they're not an idol to you, when you can freely give as you have freely received, where it's no longer a thing that I have to have, but it's a thing I have because God has blessed me and the first person that crossed my path that's in need, I'm going to bless them back. Amen? That's about as nice as you can preach a money sermon, I think. I know. You You don't always get all the shouting and stuff you get with the evangelistic messages on the money sermons, right? But... I always ask the Lord how I'm going to finish this and and what my altar call is going to be, and and this is a tough one. Um, But let's bow our heads for just a moment. The reason I have you bow your head and close your eyes is because I want you to just think for a second about what you have and about what you possess. You know, everything you possess possesses you in turn. If you have a really nice car and you blow a tire, it costs a lot more money to fix than if you have a really terrible car and, and you lose one of those, right? Everything requires maintenance. Everything requires upkeep. If you have a big yard, you've got to watch over your big yard. If you've got a big house, you've got to watch over your big house. You've got to have a balance in your life. And not only you have to have balance in your life, but what you have to have, and this is where I want you to just take a moment with every head bowed, every eye closed, and just look in your heart, <coughs> And ask the Lord if your finances are on the altar. See, when you're negotiating with God and you're saying, I want a greater calling, I want a greater anointing, I want more of your Holy Spirit, I want you to move in my life, sometimes there are things in the way of that happening and you have to put those things on the table so that God can say, hey, that's not something you need in your life and until you get that out, you can't move to the next place. We take the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus said, you have to sell all that you have and give it to the poor to come into the kingdom. And we look at that and we say, God, do I have to sell everything I have in order to come into your kingdom? And he didn't say that for everybody, but he did say it to him, and he said it to him because that's what he couldn't do. And the question is, if God asked you to do the unthinkable, if God asked you to do the unimaginable, could you? Could you? You know in your heart whether or not you could. You know where your life is at. You know where things are at with you. If he asked you to do the unimaginable, if he said, give it all up. If he said, sell it all and follow me. If he said, I want to lead you into a land you haven't seen and everywhere your feet walk, I'm going to make it a possession for you, but you're going to have to get up and go. And you're going to have to leave some of this behind. And your car's going to have a few more miles on it. And your clothes may have come off the clearance rack. But I've got something I want you to do. Could you do it? You know what needs to be on the altar. Just take a moment there with the Lord. Take that part of your heart you've been holding back from Him and just say, Lord, whatever you need, to be, whatever you need for me to do in my life, God, I'm willing to do that. And I'm not saying I'm going to ask you to sell everything you have this week and give it to the poor, but would you give up something for someone else? Would you give up something of your financial blessing to help someone else? If you could, just look up for a second. Here's my homework assignment, because every church needs a homework assignment. Go to your bank, go to your ATM, go to some place where your wealth is stored, where your heart is there, your treasure will be also. Take out $20, put that $20 in your wallet, in your purse, someplace where you're going to be carrying it. Stick it in your phone case. Don't put it with your other money don't let it touch other money because that $20 is going to be sacred to the Lord. Now I know for some people that's a harder thing to ask than to other people. I'm not, I'm not dumb enough to think that some people, for some people, $20 is a big sacrifice. And if it isn't a big enough sacrifice for you to feel, then take out what God tells you to do. But take that out, put it somewhere where the rest of your money isn't, put it aside and hold it until God tells you what to do with it. You might meet somebody on the street that just needs it. You might run into somebody at work who's going through a hard time and he moves on your heart. You might even come back next week and say, you know what? I didn't find anybody, but Jake made this huge promise for Speed the Light. Let's buy a missionary. Let's buy a vehicle, a missionary. Put it in an envelope right on here. Hey, put this to Speed the Light and it'll get to a missionary. But do that. Just take it out and hold it in your hand and know that as you're holding it, that God has a purpose for that filthy little piece of money and it's going to touch somebody's life and he's going to use you to do it. Just stick it somewhere where you'll be carrying it on you because when the moment hits, if you don't have it, you're going to feel terrible. Let me tell you, because I'm telling you now, because you've heard it, there's a spiritual thing at work that whenever you hear something, God immediately makes you accountable for it. So now there's a really good chance that this week you're going to run into that situation. So I'm telling you, be ready. Just take it out, set it aside, and wait for God to tell you what to do with it. Be a giver, right? Be the kind of person who gives of what they have so that others could know the Lord. Just say, God bless you, or you know, the Lord loves you, or whatever you need to say when you give it. But just give it away, right? Because we are a people who are free from all idolatry. We don't bow down and serve anyone but the Lord anymore. Amen? No matter how much this world will try and tell you, if you don't have as much as the next person has, you're not truly free, and you're not truly living life, and you don't have what they have, you know what? So what? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Did you know that? Being happy with what you have makes you richer than the person who's still trying to get another billion in his account. Did you know that? Because they all are. Well, I'm I'm a billionaire, but then there are people who are multi-billionaires, and there's people who have... There's always somebody with ma'am. Let's all stand. Stretch, yawn, get ready for the playoffs. As a Giants fan, I am not praying good things on Green Bay tonight. I'm just telling you. I know, I know. Hey, look, it takes courage to stand in this house and say that. (laughs) Not everyone will stand and speak the truth, and yet here I am, persecuted for it. Lord, you see. Josh, lead us out with a word of prayer.